Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Here's how the Salt Lake Tribune described the Great Salt Lake in naming the lake its 2021 U- uh, Utah of the Year. Drought and increasing diversions of water from upstream have left the Great Salt Lake less great. It's smaller and shallower than it's been in the, the time since European settlers first started keeping records. It's level 10 feet below what has long been considered normal. Antelope Island is not really an island anymore. Uh, they go on from there. UPR is a member of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, which is seeking solutions to the problem. And uh, today, in a special member drive edition of the program, we're talking with Wayne Wurtzbaugh, USU Emeritus Professor of Watershed Sciences, who's in studio with us. Professor Wurtzbaugh, thank you for coming in. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, we also have with us in studio Jamie Butler, Great Salt Lake Institute Coordinator at Westminster uh, College. Thanks for coming in. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, we have on Zoom uh, Bonnie Baxter, who is a professor of biology at Westminster uh, College, has studied the lake for a long time. Uh, welcome to the program. Hi there. Between humans and Great Salt Lake. Good, to, good to hear you. We've got some extraneous audio uh, somehow coming through the, the Zoom there. Humans have changed the lake. The lake has changed humans. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll have to try to fix that uh, that problem. We also have uh, with us uh, in studio Amy Van Tatenhove, who's a USU graduate student and uh, UPR science reporter. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Uh, let me start with uh, Wayne Wurzbaugh. You've been studying the, the lake for, for years, um, even in retirement, still studying the lake and publishing papers, right? Um, uh, so you uh, you alerted me to a paper. In fact, you've, you brought it in, a, a very recent paper Comparing and contrasting Great Salt Lake with Lake Ramia in Iran, uh, kind of a cautionary tale, right? If you, uh, you, <laughs> you showed me the picture of the current picture of Lake Ramia, and it's not good. No, it's it's really really sad. Uh, Lake Ramia is in Iran, and it used to be almost identical to Great Salt Lake, same size, same elevation, roughly the same depth, divided in half by a, a transportation causeway, amazing similarities. And the Iranians uh, kind of been looking to USU scientists and other scientists that study the Great Salt Lake uh, because they feel that we know what we're doing about managing the lake. And so I was over at a conference about seven years ago uh, to tell the people you know, what great things we're doing here. But I, I, I kind of flip that around and I tell our audience here uh, in Utah, uh, well, this is what could happen if we don't uh, get our act together and, and manage the, the lake better. Uh, this photograph you uh, refer to as a NASA satellite image, and, and you, you look at it, and the lake is almost, their lake is almost completely dried up, whereas... Um, Great Salt Lake, uh, you likely know, is about 50-55% of the surface area has disappeared, and we have dry lake bed that's producing dust and and uh, other bad things for us. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, one of the reasons they wanted your expertise is they wanted to know what we're doing right with Great Salt Lake, right? Yeah. What what, <laughs> what are we doing right, do you think? Um, well... Very recently, with the past legislature, uh, we started to do some things right, and some legislation that has been passed that uh, points us in the right direction. We don't have much more water for the lake. Um, this paper we are just publishing, it's not quite out yet, but it will be in a few weeks, uh, point out the fact that in Iran they have much less uh, – 
land for agriculture, and most of their agriculture is uh, limited to the to the ri- river valleys. Where in the U.S. we can import grain from the Midwest, we have expansive areas for agriculture. Iran d- sort of doesn't have that that luxury, so they've developed their water far more. So they went on a dam building spree uh, about 20 years ago, and uh, they built a dam capacity almost double what we have have here. So uh, the bottom line, we just haven't had quite the necessity to develop our water to the degree that they felt they, they needed to. So, but we're progressing that way. So we're we're talking about new dams on the Bear River, the major tributary to the Great Salt Lake. And if we can't continue down that line, we're, we'll be where Lake Ermea is, mm. and uh, near, nearly completely dry lake. Yeah, cautionary tale. Uh, let's turn uh, back to uh, Bonnie Baxter. I think we've got that problem uh, solved. Um, I think. Hi there. Can, uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear yeah. you. Yeah, I, it, that was my fault. Uh, I was I was running a YouTube version of a talk that you gave, so we had you over you. So now I've, <laughs> I'm eliminated one of you there. So now we've got you. Um, so so thanks for joining us. Um, I wonder what's what, this has been. I don't know about a. You've been studying the lake for a long time, right? But it's kind yeah. of kind of really come into our our, our public consciousness. Uh, in re- recent year uh, or two, and I wonder in that time, what's 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 top of mind for you? Is is have there been more solutions proposed? Are we further ahead? What's the trajectory? Do you think? Well, I think I think Wayne's uh, and colleagues' paper back in 2017 um, really sort of lit the fire under people to think about what impact diversions we're having on the lake. Um, I study the microbiology of the lake, so kind of the foundation of the ecosystem. And we've just been seeing shocking, shocking changes. It's really um, what's going on in the shifting communities is bound to impact the invertebrates of the lake, which is what brings the 10 million birds here. So if the brine shrimp and brine flies don't have anything to eat, um, then the whole system crashes. And so I've been really, really concerned as we're seeing shifts in the population of the cyanobacteria in particular and the algae of the lake. What uh, follow-up question to that? What, so sounds like urgent, quite urgent. Quite, is quite, right. quite urgent. urgent. Urgent is right. Um, uh, we're just seeing brine fly uh, little little cocoons that are on the bottom of the lake, the brine fly pupa. We're just seeing them by the billions on the shore. Um, they're washing off these microbialites because the the mats that I study are um, just decimated. Uh, so we're worried about a disruption of the brine fly life cycle, and those flies feed a whole lot of these birds. And so, um, so what we're seeing on the ground is is rather terrifying. And part of it is that the lake is shrinking, and some of the habitat is becoming just out of the water. But the second problem is that the lake is getting too salty because as the lake shrinks and water evaporates, the salt doesn't evaporate, it stays behind, right? So the lake just gets saltier and saltier and saltier. And these these microbes are, um, and these flies and, and shrimp are 
they've evolved to live at high salt, way saltier than the ocean, but they do have an upper limit and we've reached that upper limit. So the question is, how long can the system hold on at this restrictive limit um, before it's too late? Uh, is that years, decades, do you think, with no changes? With the brain shrimp, the, the current ecology models say that uh, they can hang out for two years before the system crashes. Wow. Um, we're working on the cyanobacteria MyLab, um, and they are resilient. We can take them to the high salinity or we can desiccate them and bring them back in weeks, over weeks, but I don't know over years. I don't know what that looks like. So there's no modeling on that. Um, and, and the flies, um, we're actually having an expert come out to examine what's going on with the flies because we don't have anybody in-house. There's nobody in Utah that's really studying, uh, no entomologists who are really studying the physiology of the flies and how that might be changing. And so we're, we're pulling resources together from several groups to uh, make that happen, to make that work happen. Mm. It is urgent. It is urgent. That's a good word for it. Boy, that does sound urgent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jamie Butler, what's, what's what's top of mind for you? And what do you think the trajectory of, of, of the lake is? Are we heading toward Lake Hermia or, or can we can we stop this? I guess, you know, Wayne talked about some things that we're doing right. And we're we're also doing a lot of science that is really important at Great Salt Lake that hasn't been done at Armia. And so we know where we're headed. I mean, I would second everything that Bonnie just talked about. We have this time of urgency and we're literally watching the salty part of Great Salt Lake that produces brine flies and brine shrimp and um, a lot of, you know, economic um, incentive for the state of Utah, uh, along with lake effect snow and minerals we're watching the death of that right in front of us yeah that that sounds urgent as well right <laughs> let me turn to amy van tatenhove i want to ask you a journalism question since you're a scientist and a journalist um it occurs to me the great salt lake collaborative is uh, is, is supposed to be solutions journalism right yep, yep. um the, let's not just do doom and gloom let's find <laughs> solutions but it seems like if, if we don't highlight the urgency of it, maybe we won't get the solutions done. So it seems like an unvirtuous cycle that will lead us just to, back to doom and gloom journalism. Right. I mean, it's it's actually that's a question I've been asked a number of times, you know, like, do we have the responsibility to make people feel better about what's going on? Or, you know, should we just be telling people doom and gloom to try to get them to, you know, act on, you know, these different initiatives to save, save the lake? Um, and I think with solutions based journalism, it's more looking at things that have worked or haven't worked and, you know, how we can either replicate the things that have worked and, you know, provide a brighter future or, you know, look at the things that haven't worked and make sure we're not trying those things. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it. It is kind of a uh, kind of it seems like a catch twenty two, right? Right, and yeah, it's it's tough. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you the the question I've been asking everybody: What's top of mind for you as you, as you look at the reporting on the lake? Right. Um, so I think, um, well, you know, we're talking about doom and gloom. Um, there's been a lot of uh, news stories that have come out just within the past couple of weeks that are actually really, really, um, you know, they make me feel pretty good about what's going on. Um, at least, you know as things are happening right now. Um, so there's been a lot more interest in, you know, cleaning up the lake and interest in putting water back in the lake. Um, there's actually a news article about, um, you know, uh, drought-tolerant turf 
and um, Xeriscaping that just came out, I think, a couple days ago. And, you know, people um, are really, really interested in, you know, putting that in their their yards to save water and, you know, provide more water to the lake, you know, because they're not watering their lawns as much. Um, So a lot, a little bit of a brighter outlook, I think. Yeah. It's been good. Well, that's that's good. Um, Much more to talk about, of course, but we want to change gears. We're heading toward a break now. um, And uh, so we want to, uh, well, talk about something that's very important to UPR, which is we need more members to to UPR. We need you to become a member of uh, UPR to help pay for programs like Access Utah, discussions like this on important topics like the Great Salt Lake. And uh, so we're urging you to go to the phone right now and uh, renew your membership, become a new member to Utah Public Radio, become a sustaining member at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or you can go to upr.org. That's uh, upr.org. And uh, this is Move Up Monday. So um, we are celebrating today. If you're a current UPR sustainer, we're asking you to move up. Uh, your current monthly amount to the next level of giving. And if you're a set-it-and-forget-it sustainer, then today's your chance to reassess your level of support to UPR. So if you've been giving $10 a month, consider moving up to $15 or $20 a month. If you've been donating $30 a month as a dollar-a-day sponsor, uh, consider moving up to UPR producer's level, uh, circle level of $100 a month. Whatever amount that works for you makes a big impact. And... Uh, Plus, when you increase your sustaining membership donation by $5 a month or more today, you'll receive a $25 guest dining gift card to USU campus eateries, in addition to any other eligible thank you gifts. So that's a great option for you. And in addition to that, um, we have, uh, we're offering uh, up to five copies of a book by uh, Bonnie Baxter and Jamie Butler. I didn't know you guys were authors. Uh, this is great. So, Jamie, tell us tell us a little bit about that. I'll have uh, Bonnie chime in as well. But uh, this is called The Great Great Salt Lake Monster Mystery. Yeah, and, and, you know, we do a lot of writing, a lot of scientific writing. And I'll tell you that this children's book was um, a harder publication and a harder thing to write than all of these technical science papers. And so Dr. Baxter and myself, we have worked on the lake each for over 20 years and raised our kids at Great Salt Lake and realized that there was no children's book and there was not a lot of um, storytelling about the cool science that's happening at Great Salt Lake. And so we wrote a book. We started um, looking through the lens of our children and seeing what was interesting to them and framed it under these children looking for the Great Salt Lake um, monster who is said to have um, ears like a bat and teeth like an alligator. Um, and, And these children are looking for the Great Salt Lake monster and find all sorts of really cool things like Bonnie's microbial lights that she studies and the pelicans that both Amy and I have studied. Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, what would you like to say about this, Bonnie Baxter? Uh, I I think it was uh, really it. W- it took us five years to finish this book. It was really it was really hard. Um, uh, but I think that there were so many cool and mystical things about the lake, and I love the way we finally pulled the story together, which is you know, while the kids are in search of this very mysterious beast, instead they find all these other really cool mysteries of the lake, if you will, but they're all science-based mysteries. So it's kind of a creative nonfiction book. It's a way to deliver science to kids 
um, in a fun way through a story. And uh, we really had fun thinking about it that way. Well, um, Jamie and Bonnie have provided uh, five copies of the book. So to get one of these, you pledge $60 to, uh, to UPR. And uh, in support of Access Utah and the other great programs, that's $5 a month. And uh, in addition to that, if you uh, increase uh, your giving by $5 a month, you'll get the book and you'll get the uh, $25 guest uh, dining gift card to USU. So a lot of good things happen when you call. So we hope that you will. 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org. That's upr.org. Uh, I want to involve you, uh, Dr. Wernspout. Um, you know, I know you support UPR. Um, in addition to providing your expertise here on Access Utah several times and in other programs, uh, why, why do you support your public radio station? Well, uh, my wife and I are both the NPR junkies, I'd say. We get up in the morning, turn it on, or it comes on and wakes us up in, in bed. And so uh, we really appreciate the news more than anything it keeps us abreast of things both locally and and nationally internationally so it's uh really useful for us and we enjoy a lot of the programming and i do encourage all of you out there to uh to support support the radio if you're listening now uh you're getting some benefit from it so please please donate wonderful wonderful uh jamie butler i wonder what you would say um, I'm not a member yet, but uh-huh. I would like to be the first one to okay. be a member. So Excellent. I, I don't need my book, though. I have a lot of them. Yeah, but. you could get your own book, but, but uh, you yeah, foregrad that. Okay, great. But but I think, you know, some of the things that give me hope about um, Great Salt Lake and the future of our namesake is is having discussions like these that are hard. And I wish we would have been having these discussions for um, a long time because we do know the science of the lake. We know the history of places like Ermia and Owens Lake. And um, I think what we have been missing are these important discussions about human values and, um, um, you know, just the culture of what it means for farmers and Great Salt Lake. I think that your show is really important for that. Yeah. Uh, Bonnie Baxter, I wonder what, what, what your thoughts are. Why should folks support their their public radio station? I'm going to speak out for your role in, um, in journalism in Utah and the Great Salt Lake uh, Solutions Journalism Collaborative. I, I think it's really, really important um, what journalists are doing right now, getting attention to Great Salt Lake and uh, this funding from a grant from Solutions Journalism Network um, makes journalists centered around this Great Salt Lake problem work collaboratively as opposed to work competitively. And I have found that so inspiring. So I, I think supporting your news outlets and in the journalism that reaches you every day is really critical. Amy Van Tatenhove, um, I wonder what your, your general thoughts, maybe specifically, I'd maybe start you off here. Um, uh, member support to UPR helps to pay for your position, for example, gets, gets great reporting from you. Yeah, I mean, without you know, member support, without donors, you know, I wouldn't be here. And, um, you know, just speaking out, I, I think I've been here for a little over two years now, and I've learned incredible skills, you know. So, you know, I'm a scientist at heart, and I had no journalism background before I came here. And I've learned how to talk to people about science um, that is not my own. I've learned how to ask questions. I've learned how to really, you know, look into things I'm not familiar with. 
and then share those, you know, ideas and thoughts with, you know, a wide audience who, you know, may not have a science background. Um, and without donor support, you know, I, like I said, I wouldn't be here. So the way to support this uh, this journalism, this program, Access Utah, this station, uh, Utah Public Radio, hope that you become a member of UPR or become a sustaining member. Increase your uh, membership by uh, $5 a month uh, on Move Up Monday, and you'll get a $25 dining services gift card to USU Campus Eateries. In addition to that, if you uh, come in at uh, $5, at least $5 a month or $60, you'll get that wonderful book, uh, The Great, Great Salt Lake Monster Mystery by uh, Bonnie Baxter and Jamie Butler. Um, again, the number 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org, upr.org. We'll have a break. We'll come back talk more about the Great Salt Lake. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're talking about the Great Salt Lake. Um, it's uh, It's shrinking. And we've all seen the photos from, uh, you know, just a few years ago to, to, to now. We talked earlier in the program about Lake Ermia in, in, uh, in Iran, which is almost completely dried up. Uh, that is a potential future for the Great Salt Lake. Um, we hope not, right? Utah Public Radio is a part of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative Solutions Journalism Project, trying to find solutions to the problem. But uh, as Bonnie Baxter said earlier in the program, it was very urgent uh, the, the problem. I think all the panelists uh, here agree. So we're talking about this on the program uh, today. Uh, Wayne Wurtzbaugh, um, I'm wondering about, you know, causes. There, there are several causes of the problem, right? Am I right in, in, in my view, just kind of not as a scientist, but just reading the reports, is it seems like the biggest cause is we were using all the water, right? You, you got to have water to flow into the lake, is that the biggest culprit and that that potentially biggest solution? Uh, yeah, we over over more than a hundred, well, hundred and fifty years, we've been developing the water that normally flowed into the Great Salt Lake. So the pioneers came and they would build small diversion dams that would let water flow into canals and irrigate their crops, uh, and that gradually built and built, and then then in the 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, major dams were constructed to capture the spring runoff. Prior to that, uh, we couldn't capture that water, and it, it flowed into the lake and replenished the lake. And so over time, uh, the div- people in the Division of Water Resources uh, have estimated that we've dropped the lake about 11 feet uh, due to water development. Um, now we put that to good uses or, or sometimes not good uses when we sprinkle water on our driveways or uh, sidewalks or overwater our lawns or overwater our crops. Uh, so it's not always good use, but we've, we've used it up um, and that's uh, driven the lake down. And then as everybody, I think everybody knows, we've been in a 20, 22-year drought and that's driving the lake down maybe additional six, seven feet. Uh, and so the combined effect of those, we've uh, lost about uh, 70% of the volume, something like that. And as I said earlier, uh, exposed over 50% of the lake bed. Yeah. Uh, so I want to turn to uh, Bonnie Baxter again here. Uh, that talk that you gave um, that I was playing underneath you earlier. Um, <laughs> you, I think you made a connection between climate change in the lake, right? And so I want to yeah. ask you this specific question. Um, 
I'm guessing we can't we can't count on the, the climate to change in the direction we want. We we can't count on the drought ending to bail us out. I guess is what my question is, or can we? Yeah, yeah. So the 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 current science on that is being done by scientists at NASA and also the Climate Center in at Columbia University. Um, and they've published three papers on the mega drought of the Southwest. So um, the predictions based on studies from um, many different angles, including tree ring studies and past soil hydrology studies and looking to current situations. Um, the current predictions are that this drought will last a really long time and will be a mega drought of potentially decades. So, um, so far we're right on track for those predictions that were made in 2016. So I don't want to doubt that science. It's, um, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing the work that they've done actually. So there's that, um, there are the climate change predictions based on sea surface temperatures that we're already seeing, um, impacts of we're seeing shifts in our precipitation from snow to rain, and we're seeing warming temperatures. So uh, again, those predictions are all right on track, um, maybe even accelerated from where scientists have predicted they would be. So I think we can't count on nature um, changing her mind at this moment in time. Uh, we can do everything that we can do with water use in, in our um, watershed, but uh, th those things, there, there are human actions that can make a difference um, since we're facing drought and warming temperatures that we haven't experienced um, before. So I, I think we need to be really cautious with water usage. I, I think we should think about water restrictions. I, I think we should, um, I, I, I'm worried that even if uh, we do all the things, it's still not going to be enough water. I think we're right on the margin and we don't have any guarantee that we're going to be able to turn this around. So we, we really, this is a time that's critical. It's a time that people will write about later in history um, and our actions matter right now. Mm. Uh, Jamie Butler, I want to ask you about the pressures. Uh, you know, we, we need conservation, right? Um, Dr. Wurzbaz just told us that's the you know, that's the biggest pressure, right? Our water usage, um, but it seems like the pressures are going the other way. Population increasing, water needs increasing. Dr. Wurzbaz uh, talked about you know potential dams on the Bear River, for example. Yeah, pressures are going in the other way. How can we how can we resist that and and go the the, the other direction? I I think that. You know, I agree with Bonnie. I mean, this is the time for action. We all need to do everything that, that we can um, to turn this around because, you know, the the lake, you know, the lake is um, contributes a lot to the economy of Utah, not just, you know, directly, but through um, health effects that we'll see if a, a Great Salt Lake disappears. There will be lots of costs for health effects. Um, people won't want to live here. People won't want to work here if the air quality is bad in the summer and the winter. And I think this is our opportunity to come together and work together, everybody, to um, create a, a, a to to create a sustainable place um, to live and raise our kids and grow our crops and even have our our brine shrimp. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, 
Amy Van Tatenhove, uh, before we went on the air here, you were uh, you were talking a little bit about um, a a move or an idea to to grant the lake rights, right? And I don't know where that has landed. That would be the legislature, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I don't actually. This is you know not not exactly my wheelhouse, but um, there was a recent um, ruling by um, the Utah Attorney General um, uh, over at Utah Lake. Um, you know, they're they're um, proposing this big dredging project to build islands on the lake and house you know up to five hundred thousand people. Um, and the uh, the uh, Utah Attorney General said that you know the lake is or the lake bed is sovereign land, so it belongs to Utah. And um, as a result, you know this this big dredging project is un- unconstitutional. Um, and sort of a similar vein, I think, um, you know, with Great Salt Lake, you know, the lake doesn't have rights. You know, we we can't. Um, you know, legislate to put water into the lake because the lake doesn't have rights currently. And, um, you know, giving the lake rights, you know, saying we can legally, you know, allot X amount of water to Great Salt Lake, um, you know, that would be a huge step in the right direction um, because it's legally binding. Um, and we can say now, you know, the lake didn't get its water, you know, be that it was allotted because it's a legal entity now. Like, we need to figure out how to do this. And that has a lot more bite than just saying, hey, you know, we need to put water in the lake. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have uh, you've been doing a series for UPR called Lake Effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So um, it's been in collaboration with uh, the Great Salt Lake Collaborative and um, a former colleague here, Ellis Julin, um, who is now at uh, Yellowstone Public Radio. Um, and so we came up with this idea of um, you know just talking with people and how you know having them explain how the lake has impacted their lives and bring, you know, sort of a human lens, um, you know, to view the lake with. Uh, because I think there's a lot of people out there still who think it's, you know, stinky and gross and, you know, there's dead things in it, which, I mean, it's salty, it's it's pink, it's weird, but it's a really cool lake and it's a really unique ecosystem. So our goal was to go out and interview a bunch of people and actually uh, both Bonnie and Jamie, uh, who are here with us today, have been on uh, the, the uh, Lake Effect project Um and we've had some really, really amazing people um, of you know, all walks of life just explain, you know, how they were impacted as children, you know, going out to the lake or, you know, the business that they run, how, you know, that's impacted by the lake. Um, and it's been really cool. Oh, wonderful. Uh, and I want to uh, I want to go around the panel and uh, uh, talk in that vein now. So uh, Wayne Wordspaw hasn't been on Lake Effect, but would, maybe we'll get him on Lake Effect here uh, <laughs> a little later on. Um, <laughs> What you've been on the lake like half your life, kind of thing, right? You know, I don't know if that's an exaggeration. Well, the but, way uh, you put it, though, that's uh, <laughs> daunting. Uh, it's close to half my life that you're right. Uh, what? Tell me what you like. I'm only fifteen. The, the, right? You're only fifteen. That's right. Yeah. So, so about seven and a half years on the lake. Um, uh, tell me what you love about the lake. What? What? You know. Uh, oh, I you know. Obviously, one of the things is just the, the number of birds it supports. It's, it's quite amazing, particularly in Farmington Bay uh, and the Bear River Bay. I, I refer to those as estuaries. They're not as salty, and they produce different types of uh, food for the birds, different types of insects. So that's uh, great when you go out there in the airboat and see tens of thousands of, of birds. But I also like to get out on on the main lake, either Gilbert Bay in the south or Gunnison Bay in the north, and uh, the starkness of it, uh, a little bit, you feel feel like maybe you're on another planet there. Uh, If you're out in the north arm and 
Gunnison Bay and you've got red water around you and crystal, salt crystals are forming on the surface because it's saturated uh, brine up there. Uh, it, it's really quite a, quite an amazing place. I want to ask the same question to uh, Bonnie Baxter. Um, Jamie said uh, both you and, and, and she have raised your children out there on the, on the lake. Uh, what's, what are some favorite moments on the lake? What do you love about the lake? Well, okay, so I've been working out here 25 years, and I'm not from Utah. So I um, I came from North Carolina, and I was used to marshlands and um and sailing around barrier islands. And um, so I always was drawn to water and I took my biochemistry into the lake. So I, I, uh, my first asterisk is I'm not from here. Um, and I have found this lake otherworldly and I can't stop, you know, finding new things to love about it. So uh, of course, uh, like like the playground of Southern Utah, I just found the lake to be a playground for my children. And um, I have so many good memories of kayaking with them and paddle boarding and just floating and swimming and taking their school classes out there. Um, I was laughing with my daughter on Friday um, because uh, she learned to drive on the Antelope Island Causeway because it's really straight. So I felt mm-hmm. like that was a really safe place <laughs> um, to drive around the island. I mean, you know, the only thing she could do would be to hit a bison, I guess, would be terrible. Um, but <laughs> uh, but I, I think uh, camping, we've camped so much around the lake at Antelope Island and up by Spiral Jetty and um I just think I found it an amazing playground and I couldn't see any reason why kids wouldn't find it that way too. And mine certainly did. And Jamie and I, um, we didn't just work together for a long time, but we were also really close friends and, and we were single moms when we started working together. So, you know, when we went out to do a long field trip or camping with students, we often brought our children because they were in our houses, you know, so um, whether they liked it or not, they did a lot of science on the lake. And that was also really awesome because they got to see what their moms do. And I think that's um, parents modeling what work looks like and how cool and collaborative work could be, I think was also a part of what the lake gave us. So I'm, I'm grateful to this lake for helping raise my children. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, Jamie, what, uh, what are some favorite memories that you have? You know, um, Great Salt Lake, I look at it as one of the most diverse places on the planet, both in terms of habitat and salt content. So it goes everywhere from fresh water to so salty, the water can't even hold any more salt and everything in between. And um, that... To me, the lake is really defined by diversity and change. And every time I go out to the lake, it seems, you know, I've I've worked half my life out there. And um, through the lens of brine shrimp industry and state government that manages the lake and through academia and, you know, kind of watching that and seeing that change over time, every time I go out there, I discover something different. And... I think that even more important is there's a diversity of people that I meet. And when I think about certain places, I think about maybe the brine shrimp harvester that took me to the spiral jetty the first time and um, 
the folks that, you know, let me, exp- like the brine shrimp industry, I had a boat that they gave me to study brine shrimp. And so I got to meet this huge diversity of people that would make me cups of coffee or um, even like dinner in the middle of, of Great Salt Lake. And, and to the scientists that are in this room and that I've collaborated with or worked with over all of those years, um, you know, I have just such fond memories of all of the people who have been working out there for all of this time. Mm. Amy Van Tatenhove, uh, tell me about your lake effect, what, uh, <laughs> your lake effect story. Yeah, so I'm a relative newcomer to Utah, so I think I've, I've, this is my fourth year here. And, you know, when I first came here, I, you know, I was like, oh, I mean, Great Salt Lake is cool. But, um, you know, since then, I really, really fell in love with it. Um, and as Jamie was mentioning, and, and, you know, Tom as well, um, you know, I'm a graduate student here, and I study the pelicans out on the lake. So I have sort of a unique perspective of, you know, the birds and the, the wetlands and, you know, the pelican habitat. Um, and it's just, it's so unique and such an alien landscape. And, you know, there's so many, yeah, unique creatures out there. Um, and it brings in so many, you know, unique perspective and unique perspectives and unique people, um, you know, to the lake. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's like nowhere else on earth. And I, I'm so, I feel so, so, so fortunate to be working, you know, in this landscape and with these people. Yeah. Before we go to break, I want to follow up with you, uh, uh, Jamie, are there, well, and, uh, I guess each of you, I guess I'll follow up with, <laughs> with all of you, starting with Jamie, are there places on the lake that nobody goes that you, I don't know if you want to reveal anything because you <laughs> keep it to yourself, but uh, they're the usual places, right? A lot of people go to Antelope Island, uh, you know, people trek out to Spiral Jetty, et cetera, but... Uh, uh, you know, I think it's one of the really cool things about Great Salt Lake is that it's hard to access the shorelines. And I mean, there's not very many places that you can access some of those remote, remote shorelines. Um, I think one of my favorite places, and it's um, you can't go to Gunnison Island unless you're with the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. Mm. Um, Gunnison Island is, has one of the largest breeding populations of American white pelicans that, you know, they trade food and fresh water for a safe place to have their young. Um, they nest on the ground and they're very susceptible to human and um, other disturbance like coyotes or fox. And it um, a person named Alfred Lamborn tried to homestead Gunnison Island pre-1900 and wrote about it in a book called Our Inland Sea. And this island is um, magical and mysterious and salty and smelly, and it's really like no place on the planet. And um, the Stansbury Expedition, they actually used the peak of Gunnison Island to triangulate and figure out like the shorelines of, of the lake and create a map of it. And so it has this history of, you know, Alfred Lamborn and his rock house that he lived on the island for 14 months and the Stansbury Expedition and their triangulation station and um, there's peregrine falcons and um, a, an average of 11,000 pelicans that are nesting out there. And it really is. And Amy's nodding her head because she's <laughs> studied the pelicans. It's um, don't go out there. It's protected um, for the pelicans, but it really is one of the most special places. Oh, it sounds uh, delightful. You, you have to be a part of a government 
expedition to yeah, get Yeah, you there, have to be you? one of the cool kids. Or okay. One, well, you have to be one of the nerds. That's what I should say. <laughs> Very good. But, Very good, yeah. you know, just um, you can see those pelicans if you go to Spiral Jetty from um, – April until August, you can see those pelicans that are flying right over Spiral Jetty into the freshwater wetlands to catch food. So you can still see those pelicans without going to the lake, um, mm. without going to Gunnison Island. Go out to Spiral Jetty, check out the artwork on the bed of the lake, and see the pelicans flying overhead. Yeah, wonderful. Bonnie Baxter, I want to want to ask you the same question. Is there a favorite place that's, that's maybe remote or accessible or or that maybe you want to couch in mysterious terms you, you don't want people to go there well i my favorite moments on this lake have been out in the middle of the water because there's such solitude um and i i think maybe paddle paddle oh sorry oh i had to cough i think maybe paddle boards are my favorite way uh to float on the lake because it's it's pretty still water. There can be currents that push you around, but it's just a really peaceful place to be on a quiet vessel. And it's not like other lakes where you have skidoos and people and partiers coming by on a boat with a loud motor. It's it's just completely peaceful and you're out there surrounded by millions of grebes and they just think you're another large grebe, so they leave you alone. And um, it, it's it's just some of the most peaceful moments I've ever had in my life. Such solitude out in the water. And, you know, now the problem is with the lake shrinking that you have to portage that kayak or that paddleboard for a mile or two to get to the water. And I think that that's, um, that, that creates a challenge. So, you know, now I have a, a paddleboard that's on a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> so I can inflate it on site and that works. Um, so I, I'm just going to keep following the shorelines in and keep trying to find the water and uh, going out to my favorite quiet places. Hmm. In Wordspa, I'm curious about your, is there a special place, a favorite place for you? Oh, uh, I've only visited Gunnison Island one time to help ban the pelicans uh, and that that was pretty special seeing all, all those birds out there and the young that can't fly. I really enjoyed that. I, I love going to Antelope Island. Uh, everybody can access it and everybody should, uh, climb up to Frary Peak, uh, at the top of, top of the Island. You get a spectacular view of the Wasatch front and all of the lake, you know, all of the bays, uh, avoid it in the spring. There can be a lot of bugs, but at other times of year, it's it's really great. And it, as probably most people know, you get to see bison and antelope and uh, burrowing owls and all sorts of wildlife out there. So it, it's a great place, highly accessible to all of us in, in the, the Wasatch Front and up here in Logan. Mm. Amy Van Tatenhove, is there a special place for you? Oh my goodness, so many. Um, well, you know, like Jamie was saying, Gunnison Island is really very, very close to my heart. One, because of the pelicans, and, you know, two, just because it's such an alien landscape and has such an interesting history. And, you know, you're just surrounded by this, like, cotton candy pink water, and it's just a very bizarre place. Um, but um, I think, you know, probably second to that is the Bear River Migratory Bird Refuge. And it's, you know, this 
incredible refuge. You know, it's named the Migratory Bird Refuge for a reason. You know, there are like hundreds and hundreds of species of birds that come through, you know, millions of birds that use these areas and the Great Salt Lake as a whole, um, you know, during migration. Um, and so you can see so many unique bird species um, and huge numbers. Um, and it's really accessible to, you know, anybody um, who wants to drive out there or, you know, walk the auto loop, drive the auto loop. Um, and it's a really cool landscape too. So it's really well managed, you know, for birds and just an absolutely beautiful area. And I've actually been able to go out into some of the back areas as well for my research and just see some of the, you know, these islands that are filled with gulls and, you know, pelicans, you know, just loafing around and, you know, fishing in the, the canals. And it's, just, it's a really unique place. Wonderful. I'll second that. I've, I've been out to the migratory bird refuges. A beautiful, beautiful place. And, you know, fall is the mm-hmm. best time to go. Mm-hmm. So listeners that are out there thinking about going to the lake, the fall, in my opinion, is the very best time to go. Wonderful. Well, before you go, uh, we hope you'll give to uh, Utah Public Radio. Did you like that incredible uh, segue there? <laughs> it's, it's professional segue there. Uh, you're listening to Access Utah, and we're talking about the Great Salt Lake, and we're talking with uh, some experts, uh, including Wayne Wordspaw, USU Emeritus Professor of Washington Sciences, uh, Bonnie Baxter, Professor of Biology at Westminster College, Jamie Butler, Great Salt Lake Institute Coordinator at Westminster College, and UPR Science Reporter and USU Graduate Student Amy Van Tatenhove. I'd like to do reverse order this time and just... Maybe, Amy, give your best appeal, I guess, to fellow listeners why they should be members of Utah Public Radio. Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about Great Salt Lake on this wonderful program, Access Utah. Um, without your support, you know, we wouldn't have this program and you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And, you know, as I, you know, kind of echoing what I was talking about before, um, you know, I'm supported by donations, um, you know, my my job here. And, you know, the other interns, um, you know, without your support, we wouldn't be doing, you know, our jobs here and uh, we wouldn't be learning the incredible skills that we have learned. So please donate. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and uh, Jamie Butler, why should why should people become members of UPR? Donate, become members. Um, um, we're having this really important discussion that's supported by Utah Public Radio. And one of the places that's, you know, the, the Bear River watershed is important for all of Utah. And having discussions like these, I think, are really important. So donate, become a member, um, get a book, Great Salt, The Great Great Salt Lake Monster Mystery, Wonderful. Um, Bonnie Baxter, what's, what would you say to uh, listeners out there? Why, why is it important for them to become members of uh, Utah Public Radio? Well, I don't, even, I don't think of it as a donation, although you can take this donation of your taxes, so that's great. But I think of it as purchasing fine journalism, and um, I listen, and, and because if you listen to your public radio station, um, I feel like there, there are people whose jobs and salaries depend on your support, and I really, really appreciate that, and, and so I... I have always given to my public radio stations for that reason that I feel like I get something of value in return. Um, and yeah, you get to call it a donation. Very good. Wayne Wurtzbaugh, why, why should people join you and your wife in, in supporting UPR? Well, all the reasons uh, the others have given, and a lot of this is, can be nerdy science or maybe nerdy journalism, but it's also fun. I mean, we like to listen to American Roots and other music programs, so uh, there's a lot uh, that that the station gives us so indeed wonderful uh, support the support the station and here's how you do that you call 800-826-1495 800-826-1495 
or you can go online to upr.org, upr.org. We are encouraging you on Move Up Monday to move up $5. So uh, if, you, if you're a long-time sustainer, maybe a set-it-and-forget-it sustainer, that's great, but uh, maybe to take some time and re- reconsider that and uh, maybe increase your, um, your membership by uh, $5 a month. Um, or if you're a, a become a new sustainer, five dollars a month or more, a new member at that level. If you come in at least five dollars a month or more and increase five dollars a month or more, you'll receive a twenty-five dollar guest dining gift card to USU campus eateries, in addition to any other eligible thank you gifts. So that leads me to this wonderful book, The Great Great Salt Lake Monster Mystery by Bonnie Baxter and Jamie Butler. And uh, Jamie's brought in five uh, copies, I believe, of the book, and so those are available. Uh, if you will. Uh, Come in at $5 a month, you can claim that book. Just ask when you call 800-826-1495 or go online to upr.org. Fill in that you, that you want the great, great Salt Lake uh, monster mystery, a, a children's book, a wonderful book, Bonnie Baxter and Jamie Butler, illustrated by uh, Arlie Landry. Uh, again, the number is 800-826-1495 or upr.org. We'll uh, take a brief break. Thanks for listening to Access U Time Time Williams. We're talking about the Great Salt Lake on the special member drive edition of the program. And we have uh, with us uh, Wayne Wurtzpa, Bonnie Baxter, and Jamie Butler, and uh, Amy Van Tatenhove, experts on, on the lake. Um, we just have a very brief final segment here. And uh, I know Bonnie Baxter has to get to a, a 10 o'clock meeting, so I'll start first with, with you. I want to ask each of you, end the program on a positive note, what gives you hope, Bonnie Baxter? Um, you know, I, when I get asked that question, um, the first thing that comes to mind is how many people I talk to every day who want to get water to the lake. And I'm including in that bucket legislators, I'm including state agency people, I'm including nonprofits, I'm including industry. Um, there, There's no one that I talk to that thinks it's a bad idea. So I... I I have heard uh, rumors that folks think getting a drop of water to the lake is wasted, but I really never hear that. And I, I get emails from people all the time telling me their lake stories. And I believe that this lake is part of the fabric of Utah and the people of Utah. And we all have a story and a connection. And I've been so touched and so moved by watching the action of everyone involved in trying to figure out this puzzle. How do we get water to the lake? So that gives me hope. It really does. Well, thank you for joining us today. I know you have to get to that meeting. So Bonnie Baxter, professor of biology at Westminster College. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, Wayne Wurtzbaugh. Thank you, Tom. uh, Yeah, thank you. Uh, Wayne Wurtzbaugh, same question to you. What what gives you hope? Well, I I think... Unfortunately, it's been the fact that we had to get to the lowest recorded level ever. But as Bonnie said, uh, everybody's taking note, and particularly the legislators. Uh, uh, they passed so maybe eight uh, different uh, bills last last uh, session, and they're looking at passing more of, of uh, giving rights to the Great Salt Lake. Uh, a lot, you know, uh, changing our water laws slightly so that uh, uh, farmers can release some water and, and not lose future rights to that water, things like that. And and we're all all going to have, uh, well, all of those of us that are on secondary water from the 
canal water, if you will, uh, that water is going to have to be metered. And it's a big cost, and the legislature put up a lot of money to, to help defray those costs. And, and that, just having the fact that uh, the, that'll be metered helps people save water. They realize what they're doing. Those sorts of things uh, are all steps in the right direction. We've got a long, long way to go. And if uh, the drought slash climate change continues, uh, uh, some pretty drastic things will have to be done if, if we want to have water in at least parts of the lake. So, uh, but people are taking note. So that that's the first big step and NPR and all of the, the great Salt Lake collaborative, all these things are helping make people aware and constantly aware of the situation. Uh, same question to you, uh, Jamie Butler, what gives you hope? Uh, my hope comes, you know, everybody that's anybody in the 22,000 square miles of water ha- watershed has a role to play and um, people are taking note. And even if you're, you know, so legislators are taking note, scientists are studying the lake and, you know, even school kids, they can do something right. All it takes is people talking about it and um, really like um, I'm learning about Great Salt Lake and how important it is. And so my hope really comes from, um, from that, that everybody has a role to play, whether it's conserving water or telling your grandma about the lake or um, whatever it is, we, we all have a role to play. Mm. Amy Van Tatenhove, uh, same question to you. What gives you hope? Yeah. Um, so I think, um, you know, just, you know, through like the Lake Effect Project or, you know, interviews I've done for UPR or just, you know, talking with some of my friends and family, um, the increased complexity of conversations we're having about the lake. So that's really given me hope just because, you know, people are obviously trying to learn about the lake, um, how to protect it, what's being done to protect it. And, you know, I feel like a lot of times I'm not telling people new information, which is really cool. They're already learning this stuff. Um, so, you know, just more knowledge, more, you know, passion into, you know, going into protecting the lake is it's mounting and it's really, really heartening. Well, we thank each of you for coming in. Uh, we've been talking with Amy Von Tatenhove, uh, USU graduate student and UPR science reporter. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Uh, Jamie Butler is uh, Great Salt Lake Institute coordinator at Westminster College. Thank you. Thanks so much. Coming in. Wayne Wordspaugh is USU Emeritus Professor of Watershed Sciences. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. And thanks to each of you for your support for uh, for Utah Public Radio. And uh, as we end the program here, a reminder, the important work we're doing here in the UPR member drive, which is uh, soliciting your support for these kinds of conversations, this uh, kind of work here that we do at Access Utah. A broad range of topics, but we hope informative, entertaining, and uh, uplifting to you. And uh, it's not free. It uh, does cost uh, money, and uh, we look to you to pay for this kind of programming. And here's how you do that. You go to uh, upr.org, upr.org, and uh, make your pledge in whatever amount, upr.org. If you can come in at $5 a month uh, or more, you can, uh, and one of the first five people, uh, to make a donation of $60, you get a copy of the Great Great Salt Lake Monster Mystery by Bonnie Baxter and Jamie Butler. Illustrations by Arlie Landry. We have only five of these, so uh, get in now and uh, make sure you get that uh, book. And uh, a big thank you if you've already taken care of this. Again, upr.org. Upr.org is the place to go to support Access Utah and to support Utah Public Radio. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the program today.